Thank you for listening to the Spiral Marketing Podcast, where every month we uncover highly actionable insights with industry leaders like New York Times bestseller Ryan Holiday, podcast celebrity John Lee Dumas, the entrepreneur on fire, professors, former presidential media directors, and other great folks like today's guest, who I will introduce properly in a minute. I am your host, Carl Bohm, and today's featured expert is Neil Gupta, who will be helping us learn more about venture capital and startup funding. This episode was recorded live on location at the Tyson's Tower Club, where Neil and I are both members. This podcast is brought to you without commercial sponsorship by the Spiral Marketing Agency, which helps growing businesses and associations get more leads and awareness from their web presence. We provide full funnel management with inbound and outbound marketing campaigns through the use of our service teams, including digital advertising, search engine optimization, social media, content marketing, marketing automation, and design and build to support efficient lead generation. You can learn more about the podcast and the agency at spiralmarketing.com. Today's episode will help you and your startup friends to get funded, so enjoy. What is the DNA of business marketing? How do we market ourselves now and in the future? Brand communications is evolving. Are you? Let's explore together. Spiral upwards. This is Spiral Marketing. Neil Gupta is the founder and chief financial officer of KiwiTech. At KiwiTech, Neil oversees the company's financial matters and leads KiwiTech's early stage investment fund called Kiwi Venture Partners. A native of Marietta, Ohio, Neil holds a dual MBA in finance from Columbia University and the University of London with a Bachelor's of Economics. I'm a top tier startup investor and technology solutions provider. Over the last three years, KiwiTech has invested in and partnered with 70-plus tech startups. KiwiTech helps emerging entrepreneurs execute their big ideas and transform them into celebrated stories. The company is actively looking to expand its portfolio of startup investments. So, listen till the end to hear how to reach Neil. Today, KiwiTech has become a market leader in digital technologies. The company has deployed over 1,000 tech solutions across industries and has over 300 full-time employees. KiwiTech has worked with startups as well as Fortune 500 companies and global brands, including Intel, P&G, B&G Foods, Universal Music Group, Sony Music Entertainment, El Sevier, and McKinsey and Company with Modern Enterprise Solutions. Neil, welcome to the show. Thank you, Carl. Glad to be here. Pleasure to have you. Of course, for background, Neil and I have been friends for something like three, four years now. We used to bump into each other at all of the local marketing and technology meetup type events, networking groups. And uh, eventually we bumped into each other enough times that we thought, you know, we really should set up a meeting, have some coffee. That's right. (laughs) And uh, since then, I've seen your company grow quite a lot. I remember when... Yes. The tech fund was just starting, I believe. That's right. Yeah. And now how many startups are you at? We have 80 portfolio companies now. Oh eight gosh. zero, <laughs> And we're planning to double that next year. That is fantastic. Yeah. And I've seen you grow as well and uh, doing some very innovative stuff. So I'm excited to be on the show. Oh, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that. 
Well, Neil, how have you come to think of venture capital for startups? Well, what we've seen is a seismic shift in the venture capital industry. We're really more in the seed investment stage of startups, which is pre-Series A, pre-venture capital, you could say even pre-institution. And the seed stage investment in technology startups is undergoing institutionalization, which uh, venture capital went through you know, four decades ago. And now, of course, you see a shakeout happening in the VC industry where the best performing VCs are growing and scaling their funds and mediocre ones are shutting down. So we think that the seed stage investment space is really analogous to where VCs were 40 years ago, whereas it's institutionalizing and think that we're at the forefront of that process. I can go more into that if you like. Well, I think that's interesting. You said that they're institutionalizing. Yes, $25 billion of seed investment is done in the country annually, and only a billion dollars of it is really done in a structured fashion with some diligence by angel groups and other investment groups, which actually have a good sense of what they're investing in, what is a risk-reward curve for their investments, that sort of thing. $24 billion of it is really unstructured. It's a very clubby, past-the-hat sort of investment. Your friend comes to you with an idea or your cousin or whatever, or somebody you know, somebody's friend's friend, and you put 50000 or $100,000 into it, that amounts to $24 billion out of $25 billion of seed investment in the country. But what's happening now is people are seeing this opportunity like us and feel that there's a way to put better processes around seed investment. And so that's what we're trying to do. Excellent. And what does that mean for the typical startup who's looking for cash with those changes in mind? I would say there was a huge wave of innovation after the recession, and there are a lot of great entrepreneurs out there. I guess the ones that really make it are the ones who think about their business in a very structured fashion and build out a great team. They're willing to make the leap that needs to be made to build a new company and they're just go-getters. They're honest, hardworking entrepreneurs. And they typically these days have a lot of domain expertise. So it's not as was decades ago where you have technologists starting companies, but you have more domain experts. They may know healthcare or finance or retail or social media or marketing, and they know how to leverage technology to disrupt their industry. And so what we do is we actually bring technology and capital to support these entrepreneurs. Excellent. Let's learn a little bit more about how you got here. So how did your background yeah. bring you into this kind of work? Yeah, so I got into the technology space right out of college. My siblings and I started a company in the D.C. area called Aptara, which we scaled to be the largest content technology services company in the world to 5,000 people. And that's really how we got our start. So uh, we got into the investment world more from an operational background than a financial background. So we started off in the technology business and we sold that company about five years ago. And we, because it was a services business, we dreamed up a new model about how to invest in startups, which leverages technology services and capital. And so it's not a pure capital investment and it's not a pure services investment, but it's a mix of the two. Great. Well, then you got into KiwiTech, right? Yes. So what, what was that transition like? 
So after setting up Tara, we wanted to you know do something very cutting edge, and we saw mobile as the next frontier in early 2009, uh, really with the launch of the iPhone and the App Store, and launched Kiwi Tech as a mobile app development company. We started working with large enterprises like Intel, Toyota, and McKinsey, and while we were doing that, this huge wave of innovation happened after the recession, and there were a lot of twists and turns along the road and some happy accidents. Actually, what happened was uh, we were working with a startup, and they had a large bill that they owed us, about half a million dollars, and they had raised $7 million of VC capital, so we thought they were well-funded. But after their launch, when it was time to pay the bill, they told us they were out of money. And so that was very surprising to us that a company started run through $7 million, but they said they spent it on marketing and you know just high-cost salaries. And it seemed unnecessary to us to have such a high-cost structure. And so it kind of dawned on us that, well, for one, we can actually help these startups with their technology development and take equity for that, which saves them capital. And we can also be a good advisor. Having built a company that scaled to 120 million top line, we can be a good advisor. How do you scale a business and what is the practical aspects of scaling a business? So as we were doing that, we realized that we were getting a lot of insight into these companies, the way we were, we were working and helping them with their technology and their business plans. And so we started investing our own capital in them in the top quartile of startups. And uh, now we're essentially scaling the model. We have over 50 investors on our platform who co-invest with us in various startups. Excellent. Yeah. Perfect. That's a good segue. You're impressive and you're, you come from a very impressive family. And if I'm remembering correctly, the last time I hung out with, actually your sister, Anita might have told me that was your grandfather one of the first Citizens in oh, India yeah. ever? Wow, you got a great memory. Yeah. <laughs> well, that stood out. That's pretty well, interesting. Yeah, he was actually our inspiration. My parents were working professionals. My dad is a PhD in engineering, and my mom was a public school teacher for many years, both retired. But my mother's father was one of the first hundred citizens of India. That's correct. So he was uh, in the iron and steel business and shipbuilding business. So it's kind of ironic that we're in the software business. <laughs> <laughs> Almost the polar opposite, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, excellent. So it sounds like you've got a background that has a lot of well, solid role models for leadership. How do you think leadership fits into the industry now? Well, I think we're trying to develop good leaders in uh, our portfolio companies. We try to invest in CEOs who are good leaders And good leaders are often open to taking counsel and bringing in experts or knowledgeable executives that can support their vision. And, you know, we try to be as good a support to their vision as we can in our own way and try to help them in that manner. Is that a challenge? How do you develop 80 leaders at once? Well, I don't want to take too much credit for it. We try to invest (laughs) in companies where we don't have to do too much development. Sure. For instance, uh, there's a company in Baltimore. It's in the meal kit delivery business. It was just on the Today Show about a month ago. They're competing against Blue Apron and Plated and HelloFresh, which deliver meals to your house, uncooked meals, which you then cook, properly proportioned meals. So we think this is a very innovative company. They actually deliver the meal in a cooler box, which is environmentally friendly. And plus, they have tied it with a billion-dollar distributor rather than building out their own 
$15 million distribution centers that are very capital efficient. So we look for companies like that, which have innovative business models and can be disruptive, plus have an amazing team. And the team of Terrace Kitchen, the CEO was earlier CEO of a company called Medifast, which was a stock of the decade in the mid-90s. That went from about $0.17 cent share price to something like $35 share price, half a million in sales to $350 million in sales. So the CEO was CEO of Medifast, and he's brought his entire team over from Medifast into this new meal kit delivery company called Terrace Kitchen. So we look for really outstanding opportunities like this to invest in. Excellent. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of strength already in that yeah. team and that yes. leadership Exactly. Yeah, he's a proven leader already. Of course, there, on the other hand, there are startups which uh, we've invested in where the leadership team may be developing, but we see a lot of promise there. You know, they're willing to take advice and, you know, it's up to them whether they take it or not, but they definitely listen to advice and counsel and they can pick and choose what they want to use. But, you know, we look for developing leaders as well who can make their own decisions, but we see a lot that they're easy to work with. What do you think the typical flight path looks like for a startup who's made their way to a venture capital firm? These days, uh, they have a lot of options. I think entrepreneurs have a lot of options and venture capital isn't always the final option in terms of uh, funding their company. We see startups which can get all the way to an exit even without raising a VC round. And in fact, uh, we recently sold a portfolio company called Puzzle Social. It's a mobile gaming company, which we sold on July 1st. And, uh, thank you. Yeah, we invested in that company at a $4 million valuation two years ago. And again, at a $12 million valuation one and a half years ago. And also a venture debt round. And we sold it for $60 million on July 1st to Zynga. So within about two years, we had an exit there. And they were able to fund the company, scale it, and sell it without any VC money because we actually raised $6.5 million for them from us and our co-investors in all these three rounds. So, you know, there are a lot of options besides going to venture capital that entrepreneurs can leverage in terms of funding and scaling and and exiting. Uh, Once you do raise a VC round, which is obviously has its own pros and cons, The pros are you have a lot of capital and you can move fast. The main con, I would say, is really that you have to sell at a big number because uh, VCs want something like $100 million to $200 million exit at the minimum for their business model to work. And they often have clauses in the agreement which enable them to block sales and or have a voice in a sale. So it's really a matter of control. If you want to avoid institutional capital like VC capital, you can have more control On the other hand, you have to be more creative about how you fund the company. Interesting. What would you suggest to those who are evaluating that decision? Do you have any tips? I'd say, uh, yeah, look at all your options. You know, there are various ways to grow. If you can get to a cash flow positive business, uh, you might be able to avoid having to raise a lot of capital in the first place. You know, if you're driving only to a VC funding model, then, you know, that... uh, come with its own risks and rewards. I would say explore all your options in terms of how you fund the company, if you need to even fund the company, and do you really want to exit the company in the first place? Maybe it's a company that 
you know, it would be a good lifestyle business and you don't even need to sell it or build it for an exit. Because once you raise institutional capital, you're pretty much tied into having an exit. But if you can be more creative in how you fund the company and you want to keep the business, you don't necessarily have to be building the company for an exit. Interesting. That sounds very helpful. Yeah, thank you. Do you have anything like a mantra to keep yourself inspired? Mm, Well, I would say, uh, you know, I just try to associate with the best and smartest people I know, like yourself. So (laughs) I think that's uh, one mantra I I would say is good to follow is try to associate with the best and the brightest, uh, whether it's in your own business or your investments or, or your management or your bank or your partners, but just try to align yourself with the best and the brightest and good things will happen. Beautiful. What are some of your favorite stories of startup capitalization? I would say actually the puzzle social stories is one of my favorite because, you know, we were able to fund them in a very creative way and get them to an exit, which they wanted without any VC money. And there's really nothing wrong with the VC money. It's just that if they had raised a VC round, they would have needed more like a $200 million exit to make all the stakeholders happy, including the VC. So I would say Puzzle Social, which I spoke about earlier, is one of my favorite funding stories of startup capitalization. Another very interesting one is we know actually the person who initially found and funded Uber. So he's a friend of ours in New York, and he actually sent the Uber founder to California to scale the business. So he actually bet on this person and, you know, it obviously paid off for, for him. Was he one of the other founders? No, he's a VC, not VC, but more of a seed investor in New York. I see. New York City. So uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. He made a big bet on this person and uh, sent him to California from New York and, you know, made a very, very good return. Probably one of the best returns in the history of seed and venture investing on Uber and Another interesting tidbit is the first Uber app was actually built for equity, which is kind of cool because we built a technology for startups for equity. So that's a pretty interesting fact about Uber's history, which a lot of people don't know. Right. Do you know if they had to shut that down? I don't know if they're still using the same app or they've, I'm sure they modified it quite a bit or they might have rebuilt it. I don't know. But I have heard that the first Uber app was built for equity rather than cash. So they were paid in equity in the company. I see. Okay. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) Well, what comes to mind when you think of the future of this industry? I think there are a lot of changes in the way startups are getting funded, especially with the whole seed asset class undergoing a seed change, I think, over the next one or two decades. And I think that the innovation is uh, not slowing down. It might even be speeding up. You know, we have mobile, cloud, internet, and there are probably new technologies coming down the path like VR and uh, blockchain that are going to change things for a lot of industries. So we're very excited about the future and uh, the pace of innovation. Is there anything that you're specifically excited about? Our business model is really pretty vertical industry agnostic. So I wouldn't say that we're laying a bet on any one or two industries, but we just feel that, you know, these different levers are going to change a lot of different industries. We do like B2B in general because there's a revenue generating aspect to it, but 
we are invested in B2C companies as well. Perfect. Okay. Well, normally the last question is what is the best place for people to learn more about you and to reach you? I would say uh, email is always good. Email is an easy way to get a hold of me and see if there's any anything uh, that may be of common interest to talk about. Okay. What email address would you like to provide? Um, I'm at neil at kiwitech.com. That's N-E-A-L at kiwitech, K-I-W-I-T-E-C-H.com. Perfect. Okay. Well, excellent. But being that you're in the position that you're in, in that you're providing money and equity and development and return for these things. I think it'd probably be helpful to ask you, when should somebody call you? When should somebody shoot you an email? I would say, you know, we're always interested in speaking with, you know, startups that are past the friends and family stage. They've probably raised a seed round and they're starting to prove their business model and they find that partnership with somebody like us could be interesting in terms of helping them with technology and potentially capital. There's no guarantee of capital, but that's based on our diligence over a period of time of working with the companies. And we do invest in companies where we're not doing development uh, as well, technology development, but uh, our business model is really a very high level of diligence over a long period of time. So uh, we don't make bets very quickly, but when we do, we we can double down. And also co-investors, we always like speaking to people who are interested in direct investment opportunities. And as we have them, we raise syndicates for some of our best startups and always happy to talk to people who say have domain expertise in the space and might want to invest or just pure financial investors and like the space that we're investing in. Perfect. All right. Well, is there anything that you'd like to add or any final thoughts? You know, I'd say uh, to all the entrepreneurs out there is, you know, definitely go for your dream and just add a little caution along the way. (laughs) Perfect. Neil, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks a lot, Carl. It's a lot of fun.